0: Hello and welcome to the show. Boy, this is a uh, personal and sad one, so if you decide to listen, be prepared for a lot of difficult themes. For those of you who don't know, I had one sibling, that was my brother Wade, he was two years younger, who was uh, an army paratrooper whose patrol was hit by IED outside of Kandahar, Afghanistan in January of 2010. Two guys died that day. My brother survived, but was severely and permanently injured. He was later medically discharged from the army, but he had chronic pain issues afterward. And my brother and I lived together in the very house from which I'm recording right now, the same house in which I live and work today. We lived together here for about six months until my brother took his own life in May of 2013 He was just over 23 years old. And what happened is obviously hugely formative in the person that I am today. It's a huge reason I took the risk to do what I do. It's a huge motivator to keep me doing what I do. And since that day nearly eight years ago, it's been my mission to build something in this house that my brother would be proud of and to fill this house with the sort of family memories that should have been. And I've only briefly mentioned this story in passing on my channel occasionally here and there when people ask me about it. I've always wanted to give it a proper explanation in a video or on a podcast, but it's, of course, a very emotionally difficult subject for me, and I could never figure out quite how to present it without it coming off as some awkward or ill-fitting sob story. So enter fellow YouTuber and former broadcast journalist Allison Morrow, who recently did a story on the police officer in New Mexico who was killed by a drug runner. I posted a video referencing her excellent work on that story last week. And Allison got in touch with me after I had, I had reached out to her about that video. She was wanting to do a stream together. And it just so happens that she's married to a Marine Corps veteran who is passionate about this issue of well, veterans issues generally, but specifically veteran suicide And so we agreed that this would be a good opportunity to discuss the story. So I'm very thankful to Allison and her husband for this opportunity. It felt better and more natural to me to discuss the story in a conversational setting like this with people who understand it. So if you like what you hear, I hope you'll give a visit to Allison's YouTube channel. I've linked it in the description. Outside of her kindness to me, she is doing fantastic independent work searching for the truth and the facts rather than the agenda or the narrative, so I hope you might poke around her channel a little bit if you decide to head over there. It's really fantastic work, and thank you for listening. This is not mentally or emotionally easy for me to discuss, but it is a story that I want to share and something I do want people to understand. Enjoy.
1: Well, good morning or good evening, everybody, wherever you are. As you can see, I have Matt Christensen here, our special guest for today. And we have a really special topic to discuss. Uh, Matt, I really appreciate your willingness to talk about your family story, your brother's story. Um, I wanted to start before we get into it to just tell everybody that I know that this topic can be really difficult for some people sometimes it's really cathartic to be able to, to, share stories and to talk about it, but it can also be something that brings up a lot of bad memories. So I wanted to make sure that we had links in the description. If you need help, if a family members of yours needs help, there's plenty of links there. There's also links for, um, Matt's brother's scholarship also for more information about his story. And so please visit the description. If you're, this is a topic that, um, hits close to home for you. We definitely both of us, I think we've been touched by this personally and wanted to use this opportunity to help others um, with the stories that we have. So I'm also planning to bring my husband Lynn in in about a half an hour. 11 month old producer willing hopefully she will take a nap and allow for the show to continue on and uh, as many of you know he was uh in the special operations community as a marine and uh veteran ptsd mental health issues suicide is something that um many of his friends have uh dealt with so um definitely again let's support each other through this but let's welcome matt matt thanks again for being here um why don't we just first start with could you tell us about your brother wade i'm gonna bring up his photo here
0: yeah and and thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to yeah. meet you and work with you. I appreciate the yeah. opportunity to talk about this. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a picture of my my brother and I, uh, or my brother and me, at um, his high school graduation, and that was 2008. So I was 20 and he was 18. And um, my brother was always fascinated with World War II history and the paratroopers. And so he knew right away that he wanted to join the Army, become a paratrooper, He went to basic training at uh, Fort Benning, Georgia a few months after this uh, and did that in the fall of 2008. Then he went to jump school in at Fort Bragg. Or no, that was also at Benning. I forget. But he did jump school um, in January of, of 2009 and then was off to Kandahar, Afghanistan on deployment with the 82nd Airborne of uh that was in august uh 2009 so my brother was in afghanistan with the army for three or four months uh um or maybe a little more more like four or five months until the actual uh incident happened so it was really quick he wasn't there very long yeah Mm -hmm. and this was all outside of kandahar in the argandab river valley which is a very um you know that's one of the the more dangerous places in afghanistan and, and has been the whole time um but uh, this was always what my brother wanted to do, even to this day. And you know, obviously things took a very tragic turn, which we'll get into. But uh, even to this day, there's no doubt that's what he wanted to do and that's what he was supposed to do. Sometimes you look back at things and you wonder, well, how would things have turned out if he had done this or maybe you persuade him to do this or something like that. This this is what my brother was supposed to do. This is what he wanted to do. And I I don't know if, I've ever seen him happier than some of the photos and videos of him in the army and in Afghanistan. He really loved it. And, uh,
1: what do you think when he was talking about signing up to be in the army or when he would tell you about what he liked about it, what were the things that he valued about that?
0: For my brother, I think it was a a sense of adventure. You know, a lot of people think about like patriotism or service to country and those things were important, but my brother, was a big adventurous man. He was incredible snowboarder, really good skateboarder, really good, just a uh, mountain climber risk taker. Like just see some, just the kind of person where you see something crazy. I wonder if someone could do that, like some stupid stunt or something. I'm going to try it. I'm going to do it. And so the idea of jumping out of planes and being in, in combat and all that stuff, it was just, that is who he was. He, he, he lived on thrills. He had to have them, you know, and uh, he lived and died on his own terms. And, Uh, That that is the way that's just the way my brother lived. Like he 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 loved risk. He loved thrill. He loved. uh, I don't know. He loved every day to be very well lived. Let's put it that way.
1: So he joins right after high school, basically. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And then he's in Afghanistan and this accident happens. So can you well, I guess it was an attack, really. So what what happened on that day?
0: So what happened was there was a patrol going out to um, deliver some resources to this Afghan village, and also to scout for for bombs. And actually, this was outside of my brother's typical unit. My brother was on base; they needed some additional personnel. My brother, being the sort of person that he was, uh, volunteered to to fill someone else's spot and went out on patrol that day. And. Uh, They were they they, typically the these bomb uh, clearing units have these sort of specialized vehicles that they take. And they took this vehicle into this village. They couldn't get the vehicle through the village because of tight quarters, as far as I understand. Um, And they so they had to go out on foot on patrol and they were uh, scouting the area for explosives. And uh, the explosive that actually was detonated was was a daisy chain of explosives in a wall. So this wasn't like your typical roadside IED type thing that where like a vehicle runs over it. This was actually remote detonated. Someone watching an army patrol hitting a, a remote detonation at the right time or the time that they wanted to, and uh, and it took out two guys. Uh, two guys died on the scene. My brother was was critically injured. Um, what happened basically with him, as far as I understand, uh, the basically the scope or the butt of his his rifle popped up and hit him in the jaw and just shattered his jaw. And, and then the rest was shrapnel. wounds. so um, he, he had a lot of damage in one eye. He lost vision entirely in one eye. And then the rest of he just had shrapnel peppered all over his body, including his face. Um, and so it, it, he never recovered uh, vision in his damaged eye. He had one good eye. And then he had to have his, his jaw sur- uh, re- repaired with a titanium plate. And so that led to very severe ongoing pain. Um, he was actually, so in terms of what happened that day, uh, he was rescued by Kiowa helicopter, taken back to uh, base in Afghanistan. They they sent him straight to Germany. And so he was in Germany for a few days. He got back to Walter Reed Army Medical uh, Center in DC. And then my parents went out and were with him. I was in college in Portland, Oregon at the time. And so I, I was out there uh, shortly thereafter, maybe... A couple days after he got into D.C. And um, and then so he was at Walter Reed uh, for four months, five months into the spring of this. This happened January 2010. He was recovering at Walter Reed until uh, May or June of 2010. Or actually, he was there a lot longer, but he did get to come home. He came he came uh, out to Oregon and visited me. He got to come back to Montana for a little while. He got a medical discharge from the Army, I believe that was 2011. So he, he had a long recovery period. He did get a, uh, a medical discharge and eventually came uh, back to uh, Montana to attend school here at Montana State in Bozeman. And um, and I, I had been going to school in in Oregon. I moved down to California for a job after that. California was uh, not for me, but an opportunity arose to um come back and and live here. And, and so he, in the meantime, had bought a house here in Bozeman. Uh, and so that was spring of 2012. And then I came back uh, around Thanksgiving of 2012 and we decided to live together, which was great because he had these kind of ongoing um, pain issues. He The chronic pain had to be dealt with through prescription medication. And of course, these are very powerful, addictive opioids. And my brother was very diligent about managing his medication and his pain Um, but of course the medication is distributed through the va and it's only accessible through the va and so what happened is occasionally depending on how the delivery was arranged even though my brother was very scrupulous about his dosages and managing you might have times where you'd have a day or two of uh of no medication which could result in very debilitating withdrawal symptoms and I had seen episodes of this prior. Um, it almost made my brother into a different person. And it what happened with him was not, not specifically medication-induced. I don't think my brother had some... He was never diagnosed with depression, as far as I'm aware, at least, um, or any sort of psychological issue. But he had had episodes of, say, suicidal thoughts or things like that in the past, even before his army career. So there might have been some sort of um, some sort of pre-existing, or or, or, uh, or maybe maybe he was prone to that beforehand. I'm not exactly sure. I, I don't have a professional mm-hmm. diagnosis on that. But what ultimately happened is this is um, Memorial Day, 2013. Because of the Memorial Day holiday, that medication shipment is a day or two delayed, and uh, I had been home that night and my dad had known that this medication shipment was delayed and he had called me earlier that evening and said, Hey, just, you know, keep an eye on your brother. Um, he seems like he's having a a rough time. I think they had spoken earlier in the day. So I got home that evening and I I went to my brother's room and he was sleeping. And so I figure, you know, that's, that's a good thing. Um, I'll just let him sleep. And I came back and I don't know, played video games or whatever I was doing. And then I saw him later that night and it seemed like he was having a rough time. He said, "I'm, I'm just going out for a walk we went out the back and I said, okay, I'm going to go to bed. This was maybe 11 at night or so. Seemed like he was fine. Um, and then, uh, so I I was in bed and he had gone out for this walk. His girlfriend at the time had come over and I woke up around 1am and I had heard like kind of a bang or a weird loud noise in the garage. And so I got up and they were both gone and the garage door was still kind of open and kind of, sort of busted like a car had hit it or something. And so I got on the phone with my parents and said, you know, something a little odd is going on here. We probably should, we should, we should probably get in touch with emergency personnel or let's figure out how to handle this. What, what happened is my brother had, you know, one of these bad withdrawal episodes and he decided he was going to take off to the hospital. And to this day, I'm unclear if he meant to seek treatment at the hospital or if he meant to go to the hospital for the purposes of, uh, I mean, to be blunt, like body disposal, that I'm not clear what his state of mind was, um, if he intended on suicide or not. Mm-hmm. But because he was rushing to the hospital through downtown Bozeman late at night, this is like 1, 2 a.m., he was uh, pulled over by police. And mm-hmm. when he was pulled over by police, he shot himself. And that that's how that ended.
1: Do you, Matt, I'm it's it is such a heartbreaking story. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, do you think like that moment right there? We were talking about the cops pulling him over. Do you think did he feel like he was in trouble? Or do you think there was a part of him that felt like for some reason he was in trouble on top of everything else? And I that I, I just I don't know. I, I know it's hard to even try it's, to understand the mindset. But do you think that
0: being pulled over had something to do with it? It might've been the sort of thing where like, I'm just so sick of everything. I'm so tired of, you got to remember too, that the pain that he dealt with, I mean, he would describe it to me as the worst dental pain you've ever had in your life forever, you know? And if, if we've, if any of us have had a bad dental experience to me, like going to the dentist is still the worst thing of all time, just to get a cleaning. I can't stand it. So if you're telling me I have to deal with the worst dental pain of all time forever uh, and I have to manage it with with highly addictive, dangerous medication. I think it may, maybe it was just that la- that thing that was like, you know, this is I've just had enough. Maybe it was that. I do know that the police didn't really speak with him. This was rather quick, um, mm. and and I I made a point to go speak with those police officers because I didn't want I felt so bad for them. You know, I didn't want them to feel like did we do something wrong to cause this or or what? I I just wanted them to for me, my experience was, I mean, for my experience was very clean. You know, my brother just kind of, the last I saw him, he walked, he went out for a walk and he just kind of disappeared from my life after that. For these police officers, they had a very difficult scene to, to be on. And I felt really bad for them uh, about, about that. So I wanted to get that cleared up with them. And they were very gracious and very understanding and very kind. And, Uh, I haven't spoken with any of them since but it was they didn't really have any additional detail to give to me because everything was just so so fast it wasn't like there was a long conversation or anything like that
1: how did you know that he was going to the hospital if he was pulled over beforehand did he tell the police officers that
0: this is this is what my this is what his girlfriend has uh, oh okay they were in so and what had happened with the garage door is that He had decided he was going to go. She was kind of trying to to stop him or just like get him to slow down and talk for a second. So she was trying to close the garage door and he just kind of busted through it.
1: You know, yeah, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, first off, even if you weren't in excruciating pain, um, what he went through alone emotionally and psychologically is debilitating. Then on top of it, you add the physical pain. Then on top of it, you add the withdrawal symptoms from the medication. I mean, that just must have been incredibly um, difficult for him. And I'm curious when he would seek help, like through the VA um, or anywhere else, do you feel like, would he talk about that he felt like he was going in a positive trajectory or did he, did he, was he frustrated that he felt like, The care wasn't sufficient for Mm. veterans. I'm just curious, as as he was going through that process of recovery, how did he feel supported or not supported by the government um, that essentially sent him off to Afghanistan?
0: Yeah, I know that the VA has faced a lot of scrutiny, and um, rightfully so, as far as I've seen in certain uh, certain instances. In this particular experience, um, other than the obstacles that exist with the medication delivery as far as my brother's medical treatment it was actually pretty good um he was able to see a lot of specialists and have a lot of evaluation there were a lot of treatment options available to him um and the the sadly ironic part is that we we as his family and friends were all really optimistic about the state of his life at this point because he he had uh, enrolled to be a photography student at Montana State. He really enjoyed photography. I was back here. So we thought, OK, this this will be good because we'll be together as brothers. And if he really needs anything, you know, I'm here and we can get this figured out. It seemed like everything was headed in a really positive direction. Um, his girlfriend at the time was great. I, I, I haven't spoken with her in a little while, but she's she is um, a fantastic person. She's she was really good for him. Everything seemed like it was great and the the va and and as far as medical treatment and all that stuff and the way he was treated with um uh gi bill and getting enrolled in school everything was actually really fantastic um other than the delivery of that medication one of the cruelest ironies isn't just that his life was in probably the best state that it had been since the since the blast itself but um he was cremated shortly thereafter which also happened to be uh, on my dad's birthday of all things. Um, And we came back from the funeral home. Then I got the mail outside the house and there was my brother's medication after we came Mm. home with his cremated remains. I mean, it's uh,
2: Mm.
0: yeah, it it was, uh, there were a lot of extremely cruel ironies about the experience, but
1: uh, how, how is your family? How, well, how was it for your family? Um, dealing with all this. You, did you find something to be more helpful or less helpful if there are other families that are watching this? Um, you know, do you mind just telling me what your experience was right after that? And then, you know, what's helped you along the way? Now we're how many years? Eight years after coming up this? on
0: eight years, which is really mm-hmm. incredible to say, man. It's uh it's it seems like yesterday. But um but as far as um family situations, yeah, I mean, as a general rule, uh good stable families get through hard times and my parents did an incredible job it was it was uh, wade was my only sibling it was just us two brothers and and my parents are still together they still live in the same house that um that um we grew up in at least in our our teenage years in uh, rural montana and my parents and i are are still uh, obviously we we get through all of this together but because we have a stable strong family um, we're able to do that. And so uh, it's, it's just different too. I think losing someone as a sibling is a different experience from losing a child. I think it's just Mm. a fundamentally different thing. And, um, I, I don't want to get too personal speaking on my parents' behalf. Um, but I think that for my parents too, there's probably a certain level of not not that they should feel this way, but I think that there's a certain level of responsibility that they experience that's different from me. I think for my parents, you think about what if we could have protected him from this or what if we had decided to steer him in this direction? For me, I, I was able to relieve myself of those sorts of feelings of guilt fairly easily. Again, because w- <laughs> the the only thing that, uh, the there's no way that I could have ever grabbed my brother restrained him and told him what to do metaphorically or physically. This is a person who knew what he wanted to do and lived his life by his own terms. And so I, I don't, I, I have never felt a sense of responsibility or guilt, but I think that's something that's a little bit different for a sibling than it is for a parent. Mm. And, um, and I, I think my parents are at peace, uh, with all of this as much as you possibly can be. Um, but it never really goes away. You lose a child. It, it, it never, you never forget that it's something that you experience and relive and think about every single day.
1: Mm -hmm. It's something I didn't really understand until I became a parent myself. And I would say that uh, a lot, like I can't understand because my mom's brother died when he was 16. And I know that it was something that my grandparents, especially my grandmother never recovered from, but and i would understand that sort of cerebrally but until i had my own kid i didn't i don't think i understood just how deep that pain can really run and so yeah my heart really goes out to your parents and you and you know you're really brave to to talk about it um i remember where i was on memorial day 2013 um i was asked to speak at the va in tampa uh, well actually it was st petersburg florida if i'm if i'm getting my dates correctly Uh, And I covered veterans as my beat in Tampa. That was one of my my main uh, foci uh, as a reporter there. And I was often at the VA telling veteran stories. I was talking about um, this issue and many others. And I I thought I understood it because, well, I think I was just naive at the time, but I I would put these stories together, I think, in a way that were palatable for the average person watching in that the story usually followed the, this is who they started out as before they joined the military. This is what happened in the military. This is how it affected them negatively. And then I would put the bow on the end of it so that it was like, here's the hope. You know, I would always try to find like some hope to end the story with. And I'm not quite sure why I always did it that way. Maybe it was just because none of us wants to leave on a negative note. Yeah. Um, But when I married a veteran who has struggled with, ptsd and has had friends who have taken their own lives um i realized that that's not how life works you know it doesn't just go in this linear direction where it just you know you just get an incline where everything you know gradually starts to make more sense and every day is better than the last i realized that you could take one step forward and two steps back and that there are all kinds of of u-turns and right turns and left turns and and you know, you may think you're making progress and then you regress. And, and so I, it, it taught me that like the way that I had been looking at this issue and what our veterans deal with, I had wanted it to be this way. Like I'd wanted it to be a linear progression towards something better and, and there being hope at the end. And, and then I realized like sometimes life is just not that way. And a lot mm-hmm. of times it just isn't, it's, it's not a linear thing. And, and then, um it, and then sometimes if you think it's supposed to be, then there are all these other added burdens that come along with like, well, why isn't it? Why am I not getting better? Or why wasn't, why wasn't yesterday or today better than yesterday? Why am I doing worse? And then all of that stuff I think can be harder on people. Um, I wanted to just, you know, read a couple comments from people. Sure. That, on that too. Kind of the, yeah, please the, go ahead the, and I'll,
0: and then we'll, I'll put some stuff up. Well, I, and I want to be, while I'm kind of opening up about this in a, in a way that I haven't discussed with my my audience in detail, at least before. And thanks again for the opportunity to do it um, mm-hmm. there. The, the positivity. Is that there there is nothing there's no experience, there's no person that was more formative for me in creating the person and the the the, the, the thing I do online than my brother was and. Uh, after what happened, I had a very difficult choice to make um, in terms of what to do with my life. I had the uh, this was his house. Um, I I we either had to clean it out and it would go back to the bank, or I had the option to buy it. I made the option to buy it and try to build a life here. Um, or I took that option at least because I, I just yeah. it felt like the right thing to do. Um, and ever since then, it's been my mission to build a life in this house that he would be proud of, that he would approve of to make the sort of memories that were supposed to be here. And really that's that's what my channel has been built on. And I used to be such a <laughs> I, I'm such a different person now. I, I wish so much my brother and I could, could talk about things because he wasn't an, an overtly political person, but he just kind of to the extent he was kind of a, a rebel risk taker, he just had an inherent dislike or distrust of authority figures which is weird to say because the military is such an ordered structure <laughs> right. do as you are told type institution but but um we, we we used to have some disagreements and i've come i've come to realize over time like he was right about everything like everything we disagreed about i wish we could talk about now it's like you were right about that you were right about that you're right about that which is weird to say for your younger brother because it's supposed to be my job to to teach him lessons right but but nobody taught me more lessons outside of maybe my parents themselves than my brother did and uh and and you know there's a reason that i have that that world war ii era helmet on the background with the with the paratrooper uh patch and that's because that was my part of my brother's world war ii memorabilia um i've got the 82nd airborne flag on the on the back of the display here um that was also my brother's um, there are little bits and pieces that I don't talk about frequently, but while I'm discussing it, like, yeah, this is what made me the person that I am today and and what built what I have today. And uh, that's, that's really the backstory behind it. Um, and part of that personal growth, in addition to just having different opinions, I used to be so risk averse, you know, like I, I would never, I was the opposite of my brother. Like I will play mm-hmm. everything safe, straight and narrow. Mm-hmm. I will never, ever, go outside the lines mm-hmm. and part of building my channel has been taking risks, you know, in much the same way I, I gather from your backstory, like you've decided uh, this, this job I had is not for me. I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to take a little bit of a risk and try something new. Same thing for me. I probably would have never done that without my, my brother's influence. And I'm so proud of what I have for taking those sorts of risks. And, um, and that's, that's my brother coming out in me, I hope.
1: Well, that's a great legacy um for somebody to leave really because we need more people who are are willing to shed the i think fear of of uh going along with it, I guess just like going along with with the flow of mm-hmm. uh- societal conformity and um being too afraid, I guess to be sort of cast out and I was gonna say that I have a younger brother too who has a similar personality and He's six years younger, but I would say decades ahead on the information that that he's seeking on, like, what's going on uh, right now in our country. And and I think that probably is part of that personality is that they they will take risks with ideas, not just with their behavior. Um, and, And obviously there can be negative consequences to that to to that risk taking behavior but but ideologically or or i guess intellectually speaking um it can also translate into people who are you know they're they're not afraid to seek alternative viewpoints to seek alternative information they as you said tend to be distrustful of what authority figures are trying to um elicit from their behavior so so they're 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 paying attention closely to that, which I do think it is really interesting that your brother wanted to be in the military, given that, um, given that personality, uh, you know, or that skepticism. Um, But no, I think, I think that your ability to incorporate um, the lessons that you learned through your relationship with him, I think that gives you the meaning and purpose to continue on where I think when people I mean, I remember reading Viktor Frankl in graduate school who was taken to one of the concentration camps during World War II, and he was a psych- psychologist, psychoanalyst. If you're not familiar, I think maybe most – I think, well, he was – obviously, he's not like as well-known as Freud, but I think a lot of people who are in that world sort of know him as somebody who gave us the idea that meaning and purpose really do matter. It's not just about unconscious thought or, um, uh, uh, you know, the uh, – urges you know that we have like freud would talk about all that stuff but but frankel figured out that the people who were most likely to survive the concentration camp as he was just sitting there and he had you know i mean he was just trying to survive himself and he had time so he was just paying attention where the people who were able to find meaning and purpose to whatever it was whatever they were handed whatever the terrible instance was and then he was also marking down when people sort of gave up and would and died um you know if, if it was you know of a Say a physical ailment or something while they were there that often it corresponded to just not wanting to go on anymore because they just didn't feel like there was any meaning or purpose to their life given their circumstance. And so I think it's, it is definitely an, you know, something that really affects us that perhaps we don't think enough about.
0: Yeah. And there is, there's nothing that whipped me into shape more than this did and and made me become an adult in faster form um, than this did. the, the, The six months after are kind of, kind of a blur to me. I honestly don't remember a lot of what I did. I know I sat around and played a lot of video games after this happened. And that's, that's understandable given the shock that, that, that I had just experienced. But at some point I re- it, it, you get to thinking and, and I, and I realized very quickly, like, okay, this is the situation that I'm in. I can sit and relive that and i can sit and think about how i try to restructure the past which is impossible i can sit and feel bad for myself and point fingers at other people or i can get started on cracking myself into shape and and taking control of my life and building something on top of these ruins that exist right now and that's been the quest of the last eight years and I'm, i'm really proud for what i've been able to do on that and i i you know, my perspectives on the afterlife and faith and all those things—that's a journey that I'm still on intellectually. But I, I really hope that he's out there somewhere looking at this mm-hmm. and and thinking, "Damn, that's pretty cool. That's, that's that's really good stuff," and and he's happy about it and proud about it.
1: Yes, and I will have to have you back on the channel to talk about that topic because that's my journey too right now. It's hmm. it's uh, and it is one I believe that I don't know. Some people might say. Just turn that off. Like you'll never get the answer to turn it off, but I yeah. I tend to be the opposite. I I feel like somewhere in that crucible is freedom. I I can't really quite voice it, but like the the release of of the fear, I guess, of loss in this life in this world. There's yeah. something very freeing, I suppose, that until we we can detach a little bit or even a lot from from that fear at least for myself, all I can say is that I feel like that's the next step. That's like the next big step from a, from a intellectual and spiritual well, um, and physical level.
0: Fear of death is very constricting without getting mm. too political. I think a lot of what we've watched over the last year is a very high, a high fear of a uh, high level of fear of death and an attempt to avoid death uh, potentially at all costs. Um, and I do think that one of the things I admire most about people of faith, um, as I continue thinking about it myself, is is just their proper perspective on death it, it, and and how there's a certain acceptance. Maybe comfort is the wrong word. You don't ever want to greet death with comfort, but there's an understanding that it is a part of a life well lived. Mm. And to have a proper perspective on that, it, it, I think you phrased it perfectly. It is very freeing. You don't live this life in perpetual fear of it or altering the life that you're living right now or, or um, letting each day go by without properly living it because you're afraid of what's coming in that way. That is one thing among many things that that I admire a lot. And I, I hope to really, I, I hope to get there. I hope to have that perspective that they have so that each day that you do have is well lived and fully taken advantage of.
1: Yeah, and I think you you realize, too, that there's not much else the world really can take from you. And if, yeah. if that's something that they can't take, too, on top of everything else, and and it, I think it puts a lot of other things in perspective, like, well, what if – because I remember when I first started talking about some controversial stuff on my channel, I'm thinking, what about – what what if they come after me? What about finances? What about – living expenses what about right. our house what about you know you you're, you can just go down the rabbit hole and then but if you really like well what is the end of all of that <laughs> you know well really like the ultimate is like if you if you put that side by side with life itself then and you realize like that's really the balance that's what hangs in the balance and then that no longer is something that you have a tight fist on anymore then it just there's no fight anymore. In in other words, like I'm not, I, I don't have to fight you to take all this stuff because, like, take it, you know, because yeah. there are things that are more important than yeah. all of this. And um, so yeah, I I really I really do appreciate all of your thoughts on this and and your willingness to talk about it. I think, look definitely, um, there's definitely so many big lessons, um, that. You have the opportunity to share with people, and so it's it's well, wonderful that yeah. you know,
0: you're you're willing to do that. And and thank you for the opportunity to do it. I have thought about a way to talk about this more in detail for many years, um, but it's it's it, I never have figured it out. One because it's very emotional for me, obviously. Two because it's my channel. I don't want it to be about strictly me, you know. And I never wanted this to be some kind of like sobbed story or something like that. And then third, it's sort of, there's just always kind of an awkwardness of sitting down to make a video about something that personal and that emotionally involved by yourself. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really grateful to have this opportunity with someone who has somewhat of a similar experience or similar, uh, similar situation, um, to be able to talk about this in a more conversational kind of interview type setting. I think that, uh, uh, this was a good way to do it for me. So I appreciate the opportunity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so just a couple comments here. I'm sorry, f- so sorry if you're lost. My husband and I are both combat vets and he's lost six friends to suicide. One with zero indication or mm-hmm. warning signs, very likely undiagnosed TBI. Um, I was watching the Sean Ryan show and he and his guests cover the lack of help from the VA and all they want to do is medicate. I'm curious your thoughts, Matt, on... Whether, and I guess, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, but whether there was another option or they were offering other options besides opioids, um, because obviously they set people up for their own, you know, difficulties down there the road. There
0: were some possible surgical options. He had an, uh, an appointment coming up at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota that he was going to go to. But uh, at, at least as it was, there was such ongoing significant chronic pain that to manage the pain that was really the option at the time yeah. and and there so surgical additional surgical intervention was on the table the other thing about my brother though i mean he he wasn't a fan of being poked and prodded by any medical personnel and at this point he had had several surgeries on his eye surgeries on his jaw even though there was prospect to do some things i, I wouldn't i wouldn't say from my perspective that it would be fair to say that the va or anybody pushed medication on him um, this is the treatment plan that I think he had uh, yeah. read to at the time.
1: And there's only, I mean, I know my parents are both physicians. My dad's an orthopedic surgeon, and so he deals in the sort of pain medication world all the time. And they're just not trained in medical school and professionally often to deal with other allopathic um, mm-hmm. options. Uh, and so it's just, I think more they're getting down that they're going down that path where it's like, okay, what are options besides this or maybe in combination or what are the things that we can do? But, yeah, you know, I don't, the, obviously I know my dad actually, is a surgeon at the VA. And so one of the other layers of problem there is that every, there's just so much paperwork and policy that has to go into how you're allowed to treat. It's not like you, do, you know, the whole risk taking thing is not something that the government necessarily allows their doctors to do mm-hmm. um, on a regular basis uh bill says no one gets screwed more in american society than soldiers and veterans and it's a damn shame matt i'm a big fan thanks for being on allison's channel um i'm curious on that note and then i actually wanted to know if you would respond to this and i'm also going to bring lynn in um do you support the defend the guard folks trying to get the law changed so national guard can't be sent abroad without declaration of war from congress Uh, So do you have if you have any thoughts on that question, but the prior comment, I'm curious how your brother felt about that idea, because you often hear veterans get screwed, veterans get screwed. I've said that I say it all the time, but I'm not a veteran. And I know like Lynn, you could talk about this, too. I don't know if veterans always like to be always like that, that way of looking at it. You know what I mean? Because they a lot of them, part of the problem with this with suicide is that they don't want to be a victim they don't want to see themselves as somebody who needs to be baby they don't want to they don't yeah. want to feel like it's like we're just getting screwed uh because they're like we signed up for it what who, who who wrote that book that just came out that was like uh was it the guy that that started black rifle coffee or one of the guys that works with matt who's like thank you for my service that was what he, he wrote a whole book called mm-hmm. thank you for my service basically like saying no i want i wanted to serve like thank you for letting me serve yeah.
0: and that was kind of my brother's perspective um he wanted to do that and as I said, I think the treatment for him was actually was, was pretty good. I don't think that he felt like he was screwed by anybody. In fact, I think he felt quite the opposite because um, being visibly injured and having a, you know having a wide array of benefits given to him, I think properly so, given the sacrifice that he made. But he would commonly say I think I think it might even have the reverse effect where sometimes he felt a little bit of guilt. He's like, listen, I signed up to do this. I didn't I got blown up. That's what happened to me. I got blown up. That's what he used to say. Um, so, yeah, it, it definitely was not a, oh, I'm a, I'm a big victim. I got screwed. It was like, this is the path I chose. And this was a, uh, this is how it worked out. And I'm just like anybody else. I kind of just want to be treated like a normal guy.
1: Lynn, does that kind of ring true? Yeah.
2: I mean, well, first, Matt, uh, thanks for letting me participate in this. Uh, thanks for joining. I know how significant it is. Yeah. Um, and the the suicide thing is, man, that's just such a, a tough nut to crack. There's a lot of cases where there are no like initial pre-event indicators or warning signs, especially when you're looking at things like veterans and first responders and law enforcement. Um, and it's it's kind of it, it's just tough. The aftermath, the wake it leaves is is even when you walk through it yourself, you still kind of have a hard time putting it together. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of one of those things where just from my experience, some of it is, is a control issue. It's about having the ultimate control over your destiny. Uh, there was a trying to think of who the comedian was. There was a comedian who actually talked about suicide and he, he, you know, he made it a joke of it, but it, it, but it was, you know, how do you how do you make something lighthearted? That's a pretty heavy topic. And that was essentially what he alluded to is like, you know, I have the ultimate control here. I could just end it all. Mm-hmm. And I know in conversations I've had with um, I've had plenty of late night <laughs> or early morning or, or drunken phone call conversations with veterans who were, you can tell they're, you know, they're trying to put it together. They're trying to figure out like, all right, what am I doing? Where am I going with this? How do I handle this? Um, the uh, you know so to speak to top top them off the ledge, and it's just the the thing that always rings true in my mind is hey you're you're using a permanent solution to a temporary problem, mm-hmm. so there is that aspect of it. Um, you know, with regard to your brother, not to try to make the mistake of trying to you know overanalyze it or or anything like that, but you know, I I could foresee as far as the mentality like. You know, hey, here he is trying to go and and solve his issue that he's dealing with. And for service members, things like getting pulled over by law enforcement stuff, that's like a big deal. Like it feels like it can be a life ending thing. I mean, when you're in the military, if you get even though he was out, but the the mindset is you get, you know, you get pulled over by law enforcement or something like that. Not only are you going to have to deal with the civilian repercussions of that, but then there's your career there's additional trouble you get into in the military. And then mm-hmm. when it comes to things like your jobs and your background, because your security clearance, and there's all these other things that, that get wrapped up into that. And if you're already kind of in a state of mind where, you know, I'm sure he was in dealing with like, you know, the fact that he didn't have the, his meds, um, man, it's just, it, it, it's terrible. And at the end of the day, not to sound crass, you almost have to ask is like, does it really matter? What really matters is the fact is like you lost such a amazing human being who had such an impact on your life. And so the fact that you're not letting that end there and having the courage to come in and talk about it. Cause uh, you know, there's a lot of things I do in, in the, on the side work. Like I, I work with a couple different nonprofits and it's hard to tell those stories And the biggest thing I see for veterans, too, like survivors, because that's how we look at ourselves as survivors to a certain extent. You see something like that happen with somebody and you go, my God, man, you made it. (laughs) You made you walked the crucible. You made it through on the other end. And then this happens. And there is that you know like with some of the stuff i teach you look at like uh, an, how human beings deal with a non-standard observation right so i experience or i see a non-standard observation the very first thing that you go through is denial if it's a critical situation that's a very dangerous thing because it can stop you in your tracks and prevent you from making a decision when one needs to be made immediately once you make it through denial and this is where this is key for veterans and first responders and people, you know, people even like yourself who've experienced a trauma now, initially you're going, thank God it wasn't me. But then over time, because your, your social filters and in, in, in your, you know, forebrain starts thinking like, well, why was it them and not me?
0: Yes. And veterans and, deal and with now, that a
2: lot. And that's a precursor to PTSD. That survivors that's deal, a, that survivor's grief. Right.
0: My my brother was um, never diagnosed with, with PTSD. He was screened for all that stuff. Um, but many conversations we had about just the, like, why am I here and they're not kind of stuff. Um, and even um, to the point that, like, I remember, like I said, this happened right after Memorial Day 2013. So this happened late on a Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning. That Monday was Memorial Day. And I remember my brother was out in the living room. And he was scrolling through his Facebook or something, and he was almost annoyed because he's like, Why is everyone saying happy Memorial Day to me? Like, I, that's, this day is not for me. I, this day is for those guys who, you know, were in pieces out in the valley kind of stuff. That, that's what he would say. And so you're, you're, what you're talking about is exactly the same thing, exactly the same stuff he would say in exactly the sort of conversations I would have with him.
1: Matt, what did you think about the, question on the National Guard or even just there were another comments about the military in general needing a congressional declaration for them to be sent into um you know combat versus uh the way it's done now
0: um i don't know enough about this National Guard bill to opine i'll, I'll probably have to punt on that one unfortunately i just don't know enough about the proposal to to tell you what i think about that um to talk about uh well, in general, I would prefer that we uh, that we stuck to a more constitutional system of deploying our military. Uh, I, I would like to see Congress claw back some power on that. It's complicated because we've had a history of Congress punting that authority to the executive, giving kind of unending authorizations to uh, make war, to deploy troops, all that sort of stuff. Um, I'd like to see a lot of that stuff scaled back. I'd like to see Congress assume its proper constitutional role that said in, in this particular story um, do I feel like, you know, that, uh, that my brother was um, unjustly sent there or anything like that. As I've said um, th- I, I don't know that I've ever seen my brother grin more than he was in uh, you know, in the armored vehicles in Afghanistan or sitting in the turret or whatever, like that was him that, and I, and there's a big part of me that believes if he never had that experience I know he would have been sitting around longing for it forever. So uh, he, he, he got exactly what he signed up for that. That it's what he was looking for. And I have no doubt he was supposed to be doing that.
1: Lynn, do you have any, any thoughts that you'd like to share? Otherwise I'll go to another question.
2: Yeah, I got a couple things. First one, kind of, it's going to kind of break from the tone or the mood of what we were just talking about. I, I, I was, cause obviously I was, uh, the executive producer, she was uh, giving me some some direction bef- in the beginning, so I missed some of your breakdown of like what your brother did. I did hear mm-hmm. 82nd Airborne. I-, I grew up next to 82nd Airborne. Uh, it was kind of funny because I grew up in North Carolina and yeah. a lot of different reasons why I joined the Marines, but one of the additional ones is I was like, well, Bay I don't Vietnam want to get stationed.
0: What called it. <laughs> I don't know yeah, if that's Vietnam, accurate. Exactly. Vietnam, yeah.
2: Yep. And I, I was like, well, I don't want to get – I'm not going to join the Army for a bunch of different reasons. One of them was I, I did not want to get stationed in North Carolina because that's where I was mm-hmm. from. And, of course, I got stationed in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina for seven years <laughs> when I joined the Marine Corps. Sorry. But um, I heard you talking about him going through uh, airborne school in, in Benning and stuff. What What year did he – what year again was it that he went through airborne and then so
0: he, was, he was basic in uh, like late summer, early or late summer, fall of 08. And then he did jump school um, January, 2009. So this was about a year before the incident in Afghanistan.
2: And then he was in Afghanistan in 2010,
0: uh, August, 2009 to January, 2010 is when the incident happened.
2: Okay. Yeah. We just missed each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we definitely chewed some of the same dirt. So uh, mm. it's always kind of nice to meet a gold. I mean, aside from the tragedy of, of a gold star family, but it's always nice yeah. to get a chance to talk to a gold star family member. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. I, I really, I, I, I guess really, guess the about other question I would too, ask though. is um, anyway, sorry. I, 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 I no, go I just, ahead. What I, was that? I'm, I'm really, I'm really careful about that term too. And, and I've, um, the th- 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 Part of me believes, you know, a significant piece of my uh, part of me believes effectively my brother did die in Afghanistan that day in many ways. But I still um, I, I has I just I, I kind of hesitate on that term just a little bit because it, you know it's just different. It's not that one is better or worse or anything, um, but I, I just want to make the distinction between, you know, the guys who died on the scene there and my brother who succumbed to injuries in a different way later is, is the only uh, is the only thing. No, actually, I mean, fair enough. Other, there have been all it's actually, it's sort of sensitive to me because there were even, even in the aftermath, there were people who responded to the story, trying to make that distinction. Um, I don't want to go too far into this, but like comments like, Oh, like this kid wasn't killed there. He killed himself later as the, it just really dismissive things like that, that probably aren't even worth our time. But that term has just, it's been a battle for me in the past is all I'm saying. Yeah. No, I
2: understand that, and you know I apologize if that uh, no, no, I didn't hit take you it. the wrong way. I,
0: I just I've, I've, I've been accused of trying to claim that term in the past, and so I kind of <sighs> wanted to just clarify well, a little bit.
2: For, first of all, I'll say as as a veteran who did walk that path through two combat zones and held people in my arms as they took their last breath, uh, I, I don't really give a damn about any of those opinions. Number one, mm-hmm. uh, number two, Uh, you know, there's, I have several anecdotal things that come to mind, but one in particular, my second deployment to Iraq, uh, there's a vehicle, uh, in another platoon, we responded to the scene. I knew all the guys in the vehicle, same kind of similar situation vehicle was improvised explosive device, but this one was more of a thermogenic nature. And so it basically caught the whole vehicle on fire. Um, long story short the the only person who survived was the gunner who got blown out of the vehicle mm. all All the other four crew members within the vehicle uh, unfortunately you know succumbed to their wounds, some on the scene some weeks later due to significant burns all over their body and and things like that and so the aftermath the reason why I bring it up the aftermath of it for the gunner you know i mean he he was he was chewed up pretty bad. Um, but really the most significant impact that that explosion had on him was when he got back home. I mean, he went through, I remember he went through the front gate of of the base one night with like a 0. 0.28 blood alcohol level, hmm. which he should have been dead. Um, he was having such a hard time dealing with it because he lost his whole team, basically. He was it. He was what was left. And so, you know, yeah, Uh, other individuals who don't don't even know what the heck they're talking about are certainly more than welcome to their opinion. Hey, it's a free country. Uh, (laughs) at the same token, I'd be careful opining on things that you have zero understanding or relevance to. And I I would, to your point, like, I I don't think we should be dismissive of that when you, you know, I had in one year, it, it was something like we had six reconnaissance Marines who took their own lives after surviving combat. Mm-hmm. And it and it's not just with that, like you're even looking at like law enforcement. I just pulled the numbers real quick today. Just in, in 2021, we've already had 38 law enforcement officers take their own life. It's three times the or it's a third of, you know, there's a total of 94 killed in action, killed in the line of duty. And you're seeing that same kind of thing, even with the military, other first responders. And it certainly brings I, I think there needs to be light brought to it as far as the real impact of this stuff yet same token with an honest look at listen we need we need to have people special people like your brother who are willing to stand up and take the call and and serve and protect our nation both inside its borders and outside its borders at the same token being cognizant of the fact that there is a cop there is a cost to that Mm -hmm. um And I, yeah, I'm with you on it. It it kind of, sorry for getting a little passionate about it, but yeah, to to be dismissive about, first of all, family members lost, but second of all, the service, like nothing that your brother did changes anything about the fact that he honorably served his country. And uh, that's a hell of a wound too, because uh, again, I've seen those same things. That's, that's usually... The sad case is when those type of events take place, it's not necessarily the actual detonation itself that causes the problem. Like they had to specially designed seats now to where, because of the blast shockwave that comes up through your, you know, you in the seated position, even though it deflects the blast away and there's no actual like mechanical injury, just the shockwave itself causes such a significant traumatic impact. Um, Yeah.
0: So it's, it's, and I, War is I, I appreciate everything that you have to say about that, and I, I hope it doesn't come off like I'm trying to tell you that you're wrong because I'm not. the only The only perspective I'm coming from is my family has had accusations made against them in the past, which obviously I did not appreciate very much, and I I don't want to have those accusations made again. I'm I'm coming from a family protection perspective, not a you're you're wrong. That's a shame. Yeah.
2: No, that's a shame. I'm sorry that that ha- happened to you, because it's pretty clear how clear you are as far as, like, making a distinction about things, and it's, you know, you can't fix stupid, I guess. There's ignorance all abound. Um,
0: well, and to the point that you're making, um, th- these, are, these are a very small group of individuals, so I'm probably giving them too much time that they deserve, but to the point that you're making, um, these are not decorated combat veterans who made these statements. You'll be shocked to know they are uh armchair opponents oh. who have no relevant experience whatsoever but yeah
1: um matt since i know you're gonna have to go soon can you talk a little bit for people there are a lot of people watching who already know who you are but um you talked about how your brother influenced what you do on your channel. You have a significant following on YouTube. Um, can you talk a little bit about why you decided to go into that world um, and oh, sure. what you do, like what what your focus is now on your channel for people who might yeah, not
0: be it, familiar? It's actually a total accident, to be honest. Um, I got on YouTube. Uh, I, I was on YouTube before this all happened with my brother, and the reason is one of the things that I used to do way too much of, I mentioned earlier, but I played way too many video games, like way too much. And that was actually one of the ways, the benefit of that was, that's one of the ways my brother and I stayed in touch when he was at Walter Reed and I was living on the West Coast. Like We we played Call of Duty all the time, like hours a day. And so um, the reason I got on YouTube is because if you ever play online video games, people talk all kinds of trash to you and it's really funny. So I started recording those encounters and putting them online. Over time, um, I kind of got away from that content because it got harder to make. And, you know, we all become adults someday, but I still, I had this kind of small audience and I've always been interested in politics. Although some of, some of my perspectives have changed over time, but I I just kind of want to talk about the news and about politics and about my thoughts on that. And this was right about the time where in my view, um, free speech as a, as a principle, uh, a social principle was, was eroding and becoming under attack. And, um, I just, I wanted to talk about a lot of these issues a lot more. I used to consider myself like a a progressive politically, but I'd always been very pro free speech, free exchange of ideas. Everyone should say their piece battles. Ideas should battle it out. And that's really been how I've, uh, that's really been kind of the focal piece that, and, and more broadly over time, just constitutional rights, generally philosophy of freedom and liberty. Generally, that's been what I've been talking about on my channel for the last, um, I mean I got into more social and political commentary probably about 5 years ago, 6 years ago at this time. So the motivation to do it certainly is um in large part thanks to my brother. The reason why I started doing it is pure accident turned something great that I'm really thankful to have and and really happy about. So that's the quick story of how all that happened and if people um are interested in checking out my my material, my thoughts, I'm I'm posting a couple short uh, focused videos each week i also do a long form uh podcast show on sunday nights on my channel as well um and the website for all of my material is matt dot com you can find all of my material there it's a long last name but it's christian like the religion s e n matt i, I dot com do you want me to share I'm that? I'm losing you, actually. I couldn't hear you for a second. Oh. oh. There we go. Now I no, have... you're back good? now. You're good.
1: Good? Okay. Yeah, you're good. Do you good. want me to share your screen?
2: Yeah, that'd be great. Um, just wanted to run through a few things. So, obviously, and I know this may be a groaner for some, because I've been looking at some of the chats, but um, if you, because this, this is a tough, like, this is a tough thing to do when you're making observations. But if you if you know a veteran or if you have a veteran in your life, or it, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a veteran because some of these resources I'm about to show are relevant uh, regardless of whether you, they served or didn't serve because we, we, I've also seen where the aftermath, you know, not, not as many people, and I know you've had your own trials and tribu- tribulate, whatever. I can't even talk today. You know things that you've gone through, Matt. But there, there is the aftermath for the family too of these things that often doesn't get considered. And so these resources are also, you know, there for uh, families of veterans as well. But you know, if you think somebody's dealing with something, there, there's good resources here. Um, and I think Allie put these in the in the description. But you know, one of the first stops is obviously the VA they have some, some basic like resources that you can get to and how to get somebody to talk to somebody. Uh, and that's going to be probably your toughest thing is when you make an observation like, man, this guy really, you know, is having some issues or this gal needs some help. You know, how do I have that conversation? How do I broach this conversation? Um, it's tough. So there is some help in, in things there for that. Uh, Another thing I want to show everybody or direct their attention to is – and this isn't necessarily directly for veterans, but I've had the experience of this group. It's called the Sotil Center for Resilience. And what they do is they do training for – this is for physicians. So physicians who obviously deal with like trauma and just the day-to-day life of being a physician and and seeing all the things that they see. There's a lot of uh, crossover, I believe, in this. And so they have – they have resources um, and like some videos and podcasts. And those things are also helpful as far as like, hey, how do I have these conversations? How do I, uh, you know, how do I talk to people essentially about things that are really difficult? The other thing that I'll point people to is the Recon Sniper Foundation. Uh, full disclosure, I'm, I'm a strategic advisor for them. But the Recon Sniper Foundation, like a lot of other veteran-based organizations first of all it's not just for reconnaissance marines or scout snipers it's for anybody families and service members current and former uh to get resources and everything from like we have our team rsf which engages in extracurricular activities and also uh professional level like athletic sports everything from like competitive shooting all the way out to like hiking fly fishing and um like horseback riding all all kinds of there's all kinds of different things we have a jump team uh, that's a parachutist team um one of the big things that's coming up is raywa 2021 ray raw ranch is uh it's an amazing facility it's a ranch uh and they, they amongst some other high donors uh help by making this It's basically a retreat that's available. I actually want to talk to you more about this offline, Matt, when you get some time, if we can. Um, But it's coming up here in May. But this is, and there's a lot of other different organizations that do really great work that do similar things. And it gives the opportunity for somebody in need if you're like, hey, you know, this guy or gal needs a break, they need to get around their own kind for a little bit, they need to be able to talk through some of these situations and deal with some stuff and it's we we're what we're seeing a lot of now is that preventative maintenance is what is key for interrupting this cycle of going down into whether it's drug addiction alcohol abuse uh all the way on up to you know yeah obviously the topic for today's show um another really amazing organization is warrior's heart uh, Recon Sniper Foundation has actually even used Warrior's Heart for, you know, because we have requests for support. You know, somebody puts in a request for support and says, hey, this, uh, this veteran, uh, they need some real help, you know, and we've worked with Warrior's Hel- Heart to make that available to them. And then uh, there's another organization called 22 Kill. Uh, they, they do a similar thing to like the Sotil group, whereas they provide training for veterans. So it's kind of veterans to be able to talk to veterans. And so, and that's all I had to show Ali as far as like sharing my screen, but, you know, the biggest thing is it, and every once in a while, even within my community, we get rocked with things. Um, and then it's kind of a good reminder to, Hey, reach out to your brother, reach out to your sister reach out to the family members. Um, and it's, and it's tough for those of us that survive it. It's, it's tough too, because, you know, you put yourself in a catch 22 of where, all right, do I, by me doing this now I'm exposing myself to having to walk through all these emotions and feelings all over again. And and some of them are not pleasant to deal with or, t- or talk about. And then there is a machismo factor to it. Um, And it's, you know, there's real concerns that people have. Like, if I have an actual open dialogue, open conversation about this, like, how does this portray me? How does this make me look? And there's a lot of veterans out there that are like, I'm not that guy. I'm not that gal. I look, I can handle it. I can deal with it. And I don't need, you know, I don't need help. And I'm not, you know, there's so there's a lot of ego driven kind of regard with that. But, you know, with, with all that being said, like, Matt, I consider you part of the family now. (laughs) So if you ever want to talk to somebody, my door's open. um,
0: Sure. And I'm really glad to, to to hear, to hear your perspective and to work with you guys. And clearly we have, um, you know, a lot of similar experiences here and a lot of uh, things we can probably share with each other. So I would extend the uh, invitation just the same. If we can be a resource for each other, absolutely. And um, I'm Pleased to meet you guys and to work with you guys.
1: Really, it's been an honor, Matt. Um, I just wanted to read you a couple quick super chats because sure. I think they're.
0: If I could, um, uh, I should have told you ahead of time. I know you'd cool. asked about uh, organizations. It totally spaced my mind, yep. but uh, it, it came. It came back to me. Um, one group that was really beneficial to my brother and that my brother worked with um, as kind of a. a, a it, it's uh, Operation Second Chance is the name of the uh, organization. They're based out of D.C. and they do mostly retreats for uh, wounded veterans and their families. They come out to Montana here a lot. And they do, and my brother had actually benefited from the retreat when he was in D.C. But they took him on as kind of a like a, an an advisor or like kind of, sort of quasi staff to just go along on the trips and and talk with the other veterans. So if you're looking for a great charity that that uh, helps wounded uh, wounded service members and their families to just relax for a minute in a beautiful setting. Um, that's, that's a great one. Operation second is their website.
1: Awesome. Okay. That's very helpful. I, um, I can throw that in the description as well. Um, okay. So I'm in late, sadly, thank you all for doing this one. Really. Uh, thank you, Matt, Allison and Lynn. And uh, Mike says, Matt, I wish you all the strength you need to carry on. Bless you and your family. So thank you all for the generous super chats. And I will add um, some of the veterans who follow uh, my channel uh, are a little skeptical of donating on youtube and other yeah. <laughs> so um which i totally understand and we had somebody a vietnam veteran um send us some silver which is amazing because i'm just going to add to my prepper silver collection Very so cool, yeah i will t- <laughs> so so i thought so that's uh doug so thanks doug for sending that um i appreciate it and uh matt any any last thoughts that you'd like to share before you go
0: no I, I think this was uh, this conversation went even better than I had hoped it to and I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it because these are the conversations that I really only have with my closest family and my closest friends and it's it's such a big part of who I am and it's such a, a big issue it's not just for me right It's a, I mean talk about how many guys you know and how many people are affected by this every single service member that's affected by this has an extension of family and friends a lot of people are touched by this issue and um, I've just never really known how to come talk about it publicly in a way that felt right. And this was that for me. And I'm just really thankful to have had that opportunity. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again. Lynn, any any last words before we go?
0: Just it, for,
2: for those who are either just tuning in or, you know, seeing this after it went live or whatever, like just understand the amount of courage that it takes for somebody like Matt to talk about this. Uh, there's a lot of other things that get kind of pulled into this subject. And so it, it should be recognized. Like dude, it took a lot of courage for you to do that. So hats off to you.
0: um, Not quite as much courage as the experiences you've had, but I will take the compliment and it's very kind of you. Thank you.
1: All right. Well, we'll wrap it here. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Lynn. And we'll see you guys next time. Take care of yourselves and each other.